Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. I was daydreaming this week about a new way to start church services, okay? So it came up with the plan that we would randomly select an individual, someone watching online or here in person, and let's imagine that we had the technology and the inclination to hook them up to a machine where all their most embarrassing moments just played right up on the big screen. I was trying to figure out whether that would increase attendance or lower attendance. Like on one hand, it might increase it because that's pretty exciting, right? But on the other hand, I'm not sure anyone would come because it could always be you that was chosen. Now, I bring that up because we're on a journey through the New Testament gospel of John. And we've arrived at John chapter 18. And in so many ways, John chapter 18 is like Peter's most embarrassing moments played up on the big screen for the world to see century after century for 2,000 years. Like there's so much that goes on with Peter and John 18. Let me give you just a brief overview. At the Last Supper, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to be arrested. And when I'm arrested, you're gonna scatter. You guys are gonna run for it. And, and Peter steps up and says, actually, Jesus, you're wrong. Okay, uh, I'm the most dedicated disciple. And so if all these losers let you down, please know this, I will not let you down. Well, wouldn't you know it that Jesus gets arrested and Peter follows Jesus after he's arrested and he ends up denying that he even met Jesus three times. And what makes it worse is that Jesus told him that this is exactly what was gonna happen. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows early tomorrow morning, you're gonna deny three times that you even know me. There's this powerful description in Luke chapter 22 talks about Peter denying Jesus for the third time, and in that moment, the rooster crows. And Peter meets the eyes of Jesus across the courtyard, and Luke says that Peter goes away and he weeps bitterly. Peter's a pretty incredible person. He's a passionate person, a, a man of highs and lows. And maybe it's because of his lows that preachers like me stand up on stages like this, and, and we kind of treat Peter like a punchline, like a joke. And, and what makes it actually more disturbing to me is the same preachers that stand up here and say, uh, Peter's a joke and a punchline, will also tell you, hey, the most relatable person in the entire Bible that we can all relate to, Peter, am I right? I want you to think about that just for a second. So what does that say about the way that you see you? What does that say about the way that I see me? See, the truth is, Peter's not a punchline, and he's not a joke. He's not his lowest moment. He's not his biggest failure. He's not his greatest guilt. Peter is a imperfect person, with tremendous purpose. And what I would suggest to you today is that in that sense, he is very relatable to you. Because you're not a joke. You're not a punchline. You're not your lowest moment. You're not your biggest mistake. You're not your greatest guilt. 
You're an imperfect person with tremendous purpose. So what I decided to do is kind of push pause and talk about Peter for three weeks. So last week, I told you that I was gonna spend two weeks learning lessons from Peter's lowlights. So last week, I, I talked to you about the fact that we can learn humility from Peter. By the way, next week, I wanna talk about Peter's finest hour. Absolutely incredible story. You know, you, you read through the entire Gospel of John, by the way, you get done jo John chapter 20, and John winds the whole thing up. That's the end of the story. But then you turn the page, and there's one more chapter, John chapter 21, and it's there just to finish the story of Peter. It's an unbelievable story. Do not miss, last, do not miss next week. If you said to me, Mike, if you had one story, if you had one story that you could tell to your kids, to your grandkids, to your friends, one story that would describe the gospel, the power of Jesus, the, the, the power of redemption, I would pick Peter's story in John chapter 21. So don't miss it. Bring all your friends, all your neighbors, anyone, whether they're from a church background or unchurched background, I really, really am looking forward to next week. But last week we started talking about humility, right? And, and we said it's not thinking less of yourself, by the way. It's thinking of yourself less. That's a really important distinction, okay? So self-obsession, whether you're thinking highly of yourself or beating yourself up, neither of those are humility. Humility, in fact, is ending this proclivity that you and I have of defining ourselves by ourselves and instead going to God and asking him to give us meaning asking him to give us our identity. So today I wanna continue where we left off last day and talk about this, reawakening your true self. Reawakening your true self. So who are you? If you move past this proclivity to define yourself by yourself and you go to God, well, who does God say you are? Let me tell you a few things about you. You're loved. Fully, completely, and totally loved. You're chosen. You're adopted. And the price that God paid to adopt you into his family was the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So in other words, you're valuable beyond measure. You're God's masterpiece. You're his workmanship. You're not an accident. You were placed on this planet for a reason. Philippians 2 explains it this way, that your father, your heavenly father is the father of lights. And he placed you on this planet as a star to shine into the darkness. You say, that's kind of cheesy, Mike. I'm a, I'm a star. Yeah, you are. It is a little bit cheesy, but get over it. Because that's who you are. You've been placed on this planet for a reason. You're a star born to shine into your marriage, born to shine into your family, born to shine into your neighborhood, born to shine into this dark world. Marianne Williamson says it this way, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? 
You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. We are all meant to shine as children do. I asked you last week, I'll ask you again today. How far back do you have to go to remember what it was like to live as a child where you weren't so worried about what other people thought? How far back do you have to go to get to a place where you weren't so paralyzed by a fear of failure? How far back do you have to go to remember a time that you could step into every moment, where you could step into every day and say, here is me, and be completely okay with it? I talked to some people this past week. Some of them say, I don't remember ever feeling that way. I always cared so much about what people thought since my earliest memories. Others told me, yeah, I do remember that, but man, it's a long, long, long time ago. So what happened? What happened to you? What happened to us? Well, I guess in a general sense, life happened, didn't it? Pain happened. Abandonment happened. Rejection happened. Trauma happened. And what happens then is we get so sick of feeling those feelings that we begin to define ourselves by ourselves and we come up with something called a false self. Brennan Manning describes it this way. The false self was born when as children we were not loved well or were rejected and abandoned. To gain acceptance and approval, the false self suppresses or camouflages feelings. Living out of a false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire us and nobody will know us. The false self's life becomes a perpetual roller coaster ride of elation and depression. Highs and lows, and highs and lows, and highs and lows, untethered from any existential support. High highs and low lows. Frederick Buechner says it this way, we try to make ourselves into something that we hope the world will like better than it apparently did the selves we originally were. That's the story of all our lives, needless to say, and in the process of living out of that story, the original shimmering self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly living out of it at all. Instead, we live out of all the other selves which we are constantly putting on and taking off like coats and hats against the world's weather. So today, I want to talk about reawakening your true self, asking God to help us reawaken our true selves. It's funny because you see Peter there and he denies three times that he even knows Jesus. And I wondered to myself if if it got easier every time he denied Jesus. Because I know something about me, when I live out of my false self, I find it a lot easier to slide into a slump than get on a roll. New Year's resolutions, you know? January 1st, 5.27 a.m., the alarm goes off, right? Because 5.25 is crazy and 5.30 is lazy. So 5.27, the alarm goes off. I get up, run five kilometers, shower, take on the day, right? January 2nd, same thing. I'm on it. January 3rd, easy. January 4th, that's a tough one because the bed is extra warm and the pillow is super soft on January 4th, you know? So it's super difficult. So don't quite make it on January 4th, but that's okay. January 5th and 6th, I'm on fire. January 7th, 8th, not so much. By January 17th, I've forgotten all about it. What happened? 
Well, they say there's three levels of goal setting. Three levels of goal setting. The least effective is outcome-based goal setting. Outcome-based goal setting is, I'm going to get in shape. Neat. You know, it's a wish, no plan. Okay, outcome-based goal setting is the least effective. The next most effective is process-based goal setting. Okay, so now you have a plan. I'm going to get in shape, and so I'm going to wake up every morning at 5.27 a.m. I'm going to run for five kilometers, and I'm going to shower and take on the day. That's great. So now you have a wish, you have a plan, but you don't always have a po the power to put behind your plan. The most effective level of goal setting, then, is called identity-based goal setting. I'm going to get in shape. So I'm going to wake up every morning at 5.27 a.m. and run five kilometers because... Because, because, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm the kind of person that does it. I'm an athlete. I'm fit. I wonder, I wonder, if the reason why we find sometimes in our lives where it's so much easier to slide into a slump than to get on a roll is because we got something wrong with our identity. I wonder if it's because we're living out of our false self and the way that we see ourselves is as a punchline or a joke. Three times Peter denies even knowing Jesus. I wonder if it got easier every time. They say lying's like that, by the way. It gets easier every time that one lie leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. One thing I find that guys lie about a lot is sports. Now, I'm not saying that girls don't lie about sports. In my experience, guys lie a lot about how good they are at sports, okay? <clears throat> so years ago, this guy started coming to Southside, and he told everybody that he was a professional basketball player, which I was so stoked about that. I thought that was so cool, you know? He said he should have made the NBA, but a couple of coaches didn't really like him, and it just didn't work out, but he went overseas and had this amazing basketball career overseas, and I was like, that's so cool, you know? At the time, I was coaching a high school basketball team, and we were really good. So in order to um, find competition for my team to scrimmage against, what I did is I put together this team of university and college players to scrimmage against my high school guys. It was a lot of fun. I thought, how cool is it going to be to have a pro player show up at these scrimmages? This is great. You know? And so I kept asking this guy, hey, like, does it work for you to come out on this and this? Time? But it never did. He could never make it out. And so finally, the 20th time I asked the guy to come out and and scrimmage with our guys, and, and he was indisposed again, you know? I Googled him. Now, I don't know if he forgot that the internet existed, but I think actually what he thought was that the team that he played for overseas was so small that they wouldn't have a website, but they did. They had a little tiny American online website or something like that, you know? And what I found out was that where he played overseas uh, basketball was about the 27th most popular sport in that country. And he was in the lowest of the lowest division. And, and, and what he made as a professional basketball player in that country, by the way, was just a little bit less than what it would have cost him in bus fare to make it to and from the game. Okay? So, so what I found out is I, I looked and they had the stats for the two years that he played there. And I found out they averaged uh, less than one minute a game, zero points a game, and one personal foul per game. So I figured he's... Basically, his level of basketball is an average Canadian high school player. So the next time I saw him, I said, man, I got some great news for you. I said, I got some really good news for you. I said, I Googled you. 
He said, what do you mean? I said, yeah, I found out that you're not really that good of a basketball player. I said, and I thought you might think it was good news because now you don't have to lie anymore, right? There's no more pressure. I could tell by the look on his face that he didn't think it was good news. <laughs> and I've never seen him since. Now, <laughs> stop. As I thought about that story this week, I kind of wish I could have a do-over. I kind of wish I could handle that conversation a lot differently. Like what I wish I would have done was walk up to him and say, hey, can I tell you something? You're incredible. You're a really amazing person. It's been so amazing to get to know you. And I gotta tell you something about me. I'm tempted all the time to pretend to be someone I'm not. Because I just don't think I'm good enough. I don't think people will like me if they knew who I really am. And so I Googled you. And it turns out maybe you're not quite as good at basketball as you say you are. But can I tell you something? You don't need that. You're incredible just as you are. But see, when we live according to the false self, our false self will always tell us, oh no, <laughs> you're not good enough. You better pretend to be somebody you're not or you're just gonna be rejected again. See, the problem with the false self is the false, size, the false self is an illusion, it's a fabrication, it's a lie. The Bible says that you and I have a spiritual enemy named the devil, and the devil's goal for you is to destroy you. And in the, in the midst of destroying you, to use you to destroy and cause pain for many others. Interesting though, one of the names given to the devil in the Bible is the father of lies. Your false self is a lie. Your spiritual enemy is the father of lies. Just wanna to suggest to you that you really work hard at speaking truth. I, I find myself sometimes tempted to lie about stuff that doesn't even matter. Hey, what'd you have for lunch, Mike? And I had a burger and I'm like, uh, a salad. <laughs> the false self grows through lying. It's an illusion, it's a fabrication, it's a lie in and of itself, and our true self, our true self, gets buried deeper and deeper and deeper. It's so much easier to slide into a slump than to get on a roll. See, once you start to live according to your false self, all sorts of things are possible. Next thing you know, you'll be gossiping. Where does gossip come from, by the way? Oh, gossip happens when you live according to your false self. The, 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 the whole notion of gossip is based on one predominant lie. Here's the lie. There's only so much good stuff to go around. It's called the scarcity mentality, right? Like God only has so much blessing. So if that person over there gets blessed, that's just a little bit less for me. So then other people's success really starts to bug me and I figure, living according to the false self, if I can tear them down just a little bit, there's more for me. But of course the true self knows something that the false self doesn't. 
the true self knows that our God, our heavenly Father, is the God of more than enough. He will never run out of blessing. See, the false self doesn't see that because the false self finds it more and more difficult to hear from God. Thomas Merton says it this way, the false self is frustrated because he never hears God's voice. He can't since God sees no one there. The false self is an illusion. It's a fabrication. The false self is a lie. When you live according to the false self, it makes things like cheating on your spouse possible. Right, no, no one sets out to cheat on their spouse. No one, no one sets out to destroy their marriage and employ their, implode their family. It just happens little step by little step by little step. The false self says this, man, I, I just don't feel valuable. I just don't feel valuable. I don't feel worthy. And when this person gives me attention, it makes me feel valuable. See, the true self knows something, though. The true self knows that your value has already been established. That you're valuable beyond measure according to the price that's already been paid for you. But, but the false self says, man, I'm just bored. I'm just bored. Life is boring. You know what ought to spice things up a little bit? An affair ought to do it. But the true self knows something that the false self doesn't. The true self knows that uh, you, your purpose, <laughs> your, li, li, listen, kind of cheesy, but it's true. Father of lights placed you on this planet. You're a star born to shine into the darkness. That's a big, big job. So big, in fact, that I would suggest you'll probably never get bored. See, what I want to do today is I want to reawaken your true self. When we live according to the false self, all sorts of things happen. We see a culture of untethered highs and untethered lows. And so to combat against the pain that comes from that, what people end up doing in our society a lot is they end up numbing, right? Numbing. Drugs, alcohol, sex addiction, binging food, binging entertainment. In, in the church, this is how it plays out. People come to the church, they go to the church for a long, long time, and they think, man, like, I just don't want to blow it again. I don't want to be that high highs and low lows guy, right? And, or a girl. And, and what ends up happening is they... Uh, think that the highest aspiration of their life is just to be this numb, zombie-like person sitting in a chair much like that. Thinking the highest aspiration of their life is this, don't screw up. What a lie. You're not untethered. God is with you, God is for you. He wants to take you into the celebrations of life the joy, and he's gonna walk with you through the tough times too, the mourning and the sorrow. See, God created you and the world needs all of you, not some numbed out version of you that's scared because you feel like untethered you is too unsafe. So three times Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Simple question, pretty obvious. Who does he deny Jesus to? Generally speaking, people. It's always people. It's always people. The false self was built by our response to people and tries to work to fabricate a different response to people. James Masterson says this, the false self plays its deceptive role, 
ostensibly protecting us, but doing so in a way that is programmed to keep us fearful of being abandoned, of losing support, of not being able to cope on our own, of not being able to be alone. This overarching fear of people, you know? Fear of being ugly, according to who, people? Fear of being a loser, according to who, people? Fear of being a failure, according to who, people? So also to people watching online right now here in person, and your greatest fear, the fear that's driving you most, is a fear of not measuring up. And, and where it started, where this aspect of your false self got started, is you were raised by a parent, maybe a mom, maybe a, a dad, and it was never enough. You were never enough. They never had a positive word to speak to you. And so you're false self stepped in and said, you gotta do more, you gotta do more, you gotta earn it, 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 you gotta do more. And you're still being driven for a need to please a parent that maybe has been dead for 15 years. For some people, they're driven by a, a fear of rejection, a fear of not fitting in. So if you look at your life right now, you might say, Man, what's going on? I'm spending time with this group of people I don't think they even like me. And now that I think about it, I don't really like them. But the truth is, I'm so scared of being rejected, I'm so scared of not fitting in that I'm saying things that I don't wanna say, I'm doing things I don't wanna do, I'm going places I don't wanna go, I'm buying things I don't wanna buy. Because my false self is driving me through this fear of, not fitting in. For some, it's a fear of losing, not winning, winning, winning. Winning is always comparing yourself to other people, winning, winning, you know? In order to win, you need something called comparison, and comparison is the thief of joy. It's interesting in our culture, too, because uh, social media is like thermonuclear comparison. Someone always has more. Someone always is more. Someone's always doing better than us. And so we go this overarching fear. Brendan Manning says it this way, the false self buys into outside experiences to furnish a personal sense of meaning. The pursuit of money, power, glamour, Sexual prowess, recognition, and status enhances one's self-importance and creates the illusion of success. The false self is defined by what he does. Talk about this a little bit more next week, but God doesn't require you to do anything. Your journey, the journey of your life is becoming. There's something true about you. And your life is just walking out that truth. That's it. And yet we're driven. False self says, man, you gotta measure up. God says, you already do. You already do. Jesus looked after that. False, says, false self says, you gotta fit in. You gotta be accepted. God says, you already are. You don't have to live for the acceptance of people. You live from my acceptance. False self says, man, you gotta earn love. You gotta earn love. You gotta earn love. God says to your true self, you are loved. You are loved. 
And out of the foundation of my love, God says, now you go bless others. Now you go love others. See, I've been praying for you all week that today would be a day that you would reawaken your true self. You know that powerful passage in Luke chapter 22 where the rooster crows and Peter goes away and he weeps bitterly. But man, oh man, do things turn around for him. I can't wait to tell you about it next week. But this can be your day. This could be the day the rooster crows in your life that your true self is reawakened. So what I want to do as I close, I want to give you two suggestions, one story, and then Lee's going to sing a song. Then we're going to come back up. You know, so I say I'm going to close, but I got like 17 more things that I'm going to do. Then I'm going to get to part two of my four-part sermon after that. Two suggestions. Well, thank you so much. I could keep going all day. Two suggestions. Number one, so how do we reawaken our true self? There's a Protestant reformer named John Calvin. He said something really interesting. He said this. Without, without knowledge of God, there can be no knowledge of self. And without knowledge of self, there can be no knowledge of God. So, two suggestions. Number one, spend some time with God. We live in a really, really busy world. We live in a noisy world. And sometimes God speaks in a whisper. And I just wonder for you and me, are there moments in our lives when we slow down enough, where we get still enough, where we get quiet enough to hear his voice? Back in January of this year, I preached a, a sermon called Seven, and it was just about seven things that I do every morning. And what I did out of that is I wrote a, a journal. I think we got a bunch showing up tomorrow. If you want one, get one. You can text the keyword seven to 604-670-3040. Now, the reason I bring that up is because one of the seven things, they all start with R, because everything I do has to start with the same letter, but one of, one of the seven things is review, 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 review. So invite God. God, I'm inviting you into my last 24 hours. How'd that go? Like, what, what were the moments that I felt really, really alive? And what were the moments that I didn't? God, when were the moments that I really felt like I was living according to my true self? And when were the moments that I really felt like I was kind of settling for my false self? When were the moments that I felt joy and when were the moments that I just felt wrong? Invite God. You say, well, that's self-obsession. It's not. It's not. Hear me, please. God created you. Real you, true you. This world needs you to be you. Not a facsimile, not a fabrication, but you. So if you don't have a plan for reading the Bible in the morning, grab one of those journals can you find five minutes? That's suggestion number one. Suggestion number two. Without knowledge of self, there can be no knowledge of God. 
what I want to suggest to you is this. Take a personality test. One that I love is called the Enneagram. You can get the Enneagram by texting the keyword me, M-E, to that same number, 604-670-3040. Again, not self-obsession, but just invite God into it. What are the things that, that I'm really all about at the core of who I am? The Bible says that one day, you and me, we're gonna close our eyes in this temporary reality, and we're gonna open our eyes in eternity. And when we do, we're gonna see Jesus face to face. I think about that a lot. I just can't imagine what it'll be like to see the most impressive person that I could ever imagine seeing and see that he loves me more than I could ever imagine anyone loving me. And as I thought about it this week, I know it's not really that important, but I'll just tell you, I kind of thought that Jesus would see me, to have a big smile, he'd kind of be laughing at how awesome it was to see me, and we'd do one of these, we'd do one of these, you know, bro hugs. And uh, I don't know, I just kept thinking about that. And then he's gonna step away from you and he's gonna say this. Hey, well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I was hungry, you know, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was sick and you comforted me. I was a prisoner and you visited me. And of course, we'll look at Jesus and we'll go, what? <laughs> when, did, when did we see you hungry? When, when did I see you thirsty? When did I see you a prisoner? And he'll say this, listen, he'll say, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, Whatever you did for the most hurting, most down and out person that you know, you did that for me. Here's my question. When I think of that phrase, the least of these, the least of these, who would that be for you? Maybe I could ask it a little bit differently. Who are you harder on than anybody else in the world? Who do you speak more harshly to than anybody else in the world? Who do you think more derisively of than anyone else in the world? See, don't get me wrong. I really do believe you know this about me. I really do believe we need to love the people out there. But I think for some of you watching online right now and here in person right now, I think you need to give yourself a break. And who, who are you? You're loved. You kidding me? You're accepted. He's for you. You know you are. You're a star. You're a star placed on this planet by the Father of Lights. Your purpose? Oh, shine into the darkness. So I asked the band if they could sing. Leah's gonna sing a song almost to close, but I'm gonna be back up again after the song, okay? I want you to stay seated during the song. And I want this song just to be a prayer. Just a prayer, just a moment between you and your heavenly Father. Hey God, would this be the beginning of something? Would this be the beginning of me reawakening 
Would this be the beginning, God, of you reawakening my true self? So Lee's gonna sing, you can stay seated, and I'll be right back.
Let's pray. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I guess I wanna ask you a simple question. How are you? How are you? Can you look back far enough to remember there was a time that you were just you and that was just enough? Or would you say that that's been robbed from you, that's been taken from you, what happened? Life happened. Pain happened. Unfortunately, sometimes people happened. One of the reasons why Jesus stepped into human history was to restore what's been taken from you. He wants to give you life, real life, true life. Starts now and stretches into eternity. He died so that we could live. He rose so that we could follow today, tomorrow, and forever. So your first step to reawakening your true self is to accept what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. So if you've yet to do that, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, and I wanna pray for you right now if this is your moment. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, you wanna just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you, nice and high if you don't mind. If it's safe to do so online, I'd love it if you could do the same thing. Something powerful with that outward expression. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Your hands are up, you can put them down and I'm gonna pray out loud and I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you that you see me right here and right now and you love me. Not some fabricated version of me, but me, thank you. I ask you to be my savior. I give you all my guilt and all my shame all my failure, I give it all to you and I accept a new start, a fresh beginning. And today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. I pray that through the power of your resurrection that you would empower me to live, really live. And God, for the rest of us, whether we've been in church for two months or 20 years or whatever, Jesus, we need you. We need you as much today as we've ever needed you. Because life has happened to us too. And we've lost track of us. So Jesus, I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. I pray that we would not be anything short of who you created us to be. We thank you, we love you, in your name. Amen, amen, let's celebrate. Next week, it's gonna be good. We'll see you then, love you guys a lot. Good job, you guys, great job. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.